Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode. So excited because we've got a really cool guest here this week. That is Nick Mosca. And Nick's been drawing on over 10 years of experience as an educator. He empowers people to align mindfulness practices with their interest, reduce stress, and reclaim their lives. He's the founder of Personalized Mindfulness, a national wellness company that boosts resilience through cutting-edge workshops, consultations, and keynotes. He also co-hosts on WABC Radio and is presented at Yale University, Columbia, Harlem Hospital Center, and many, many other locations. Moreover, he's the author of Freedom and Sleep, Mindfulness-Based Insomnia Relief, and has writing, his writing has appeared in Psychology Today and ASCD Express. You're also the research chairperson of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, which is how we met, because we have a mutual friend in Chip Lutz. Uh, and so thank you, Nick, for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Mike. And I really want to thank you for the opportunity. And I commend your work, not only on the mindfulness front, but also with the Date Safe Project. It's so remarkable. And I'm a big fan of your work. So it's an honor for me to be here. Thank well, you. Well, thank you, Nick. I really appreciate that. We like to dive right in here. You, ha- yeah. you have a very diverse background in mindfulness, but your book especially was about insomnia and mindfulness. And I know many people, and there have been times in my life where there's been high stress level, and I did not have the best sleep. And even trying to find the right meditation to help with that, you know, you do everything right. You make the room dark. You try not to have electronics for two hours. So let's dive into that. What are some key points? Because I know a lot of people struggle with that. What are some key things that, that are important to getting that mindfulness sleep? Absolutely. I think the first thing is, is to be really honest with yourself about what you're not interested in. Because if you know what you're not interested in, that will help you sleep much better. Because a lot of people, they might read a book before they go to sleep, but that might that book might bring up some engaging material for them. So what's cool about my approach is that really it has each chapter is about a different topic. There's a topic on pillow making. There's a topic on math theory. There's a topic on gardening. So. If you're someone like me who doesn't particularly like math, reading that math chapter before you go to bed puts you right out. So, <laughs> so it's a matter of boredom. It's a matter of boredom. It's, 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 this, the text is guaranteed stimulation free. So it's really encur- it encourages you to mindfully engage with the text. And every time you bring yourself back to the text, that's the practice. And so um, your odds are you will not get past chapter one, guaranteed. I love that. So fun. And I know a lot of people do the opposite. They do their weekly reading right before bed, right? They dive into that book that they're supposed to get done. So they do one chapter night before bed. And you're saying, no, no, the opposite, the most boring thing you could. But do you have to be able to have enough interest to actually read it? (laughs) Sure. I mean, just to get started. 
but the, the text is designed in a way that will relax you. And anytime I could throw in peaceful adjectives and soothing verbs, all that stuff has a subconscious effect to help lull you out, which is the point. So your book here is literally just for people to read out of boredom. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, if, if you don't finish the book, it's the greatest compliment you could give me. Right. No, I love it. I think when people would have heard me say you were an author of that, it's they would think, oh, so I'm going to read all about how to help myself. But you actually say, no, pick up my book to help you fall asleep. Yeah, it's the practice. The book itself is the practice. That's right. I love it. That That's so brilliant. So unique. That's that's fantastic. So for anyone listening in, that's read them and sleep. And I mean, now it makes total sense, the title. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so you work with wellness, mindfulness. What are the biggest stereotypes, myths that you find people have of mindfulness that, that stops them from diving in? It's the same one that I struggled with for many years. It's that there are set ways to practice and you don't do it in these prescribed ways. You can't get the benefits. I think that takes a very black and white approach to the subject. Um, and, and it often leads to people burning out and not practicing in ways that align with their intrinsic motivation. For example, for me, when I first started mindfulness many years ago, I started with the follow the breath approach. That was the approach that was prescribed to me in divinity school. It was recommended to me by all my friends, and it's a fantastic approach. It works for many people, but it did not work for me. And for anyone listening, follow the breath is simply to listen to your breath. Right. <laughs> listen your breath out. And it can be very soothing, but that's all it is. You're just breathing in, breathing out. Breathing right. in. And all you're focused on is a breath. That's it. Right? That's the version you're referring to? That's correct. Okay. And thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic foundational approach. Um, but it doesn't work for everybody. Um, there are some people like myself who have a lot of trauma associated with the breath. And so that practice for me became something that I felt like I needed to shoehorn into my already cramped schedule because I wasn't, quite frankly, it was something that was very difficult to sustain. So it's only when I realized that there's no one right way to practice mindfulness that it just, my 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 purview of what mindfulness was really exploded. I mean, there's there's literally thousands upon thousands of different practices that you could experiment with and have fun with and play with. Let's let's dive into that because I think this is really great for people to hear because I know people go, I, I don't have, I mean, after I just say my prayers and everything every day, I don't have time for mindfulness. And I'll be like, whoa, whoa you just referred to mindfulness. Exactly. It, unless your prayers are just so self-absorbed, uh, <laughs> like, you know, give me this, give me that, give me that. If your prayer is to take time and to reflect and to be grateful and to be thankful, maybe you're, you're thanking your God or your religion or your faith or your being, this creator, and you're thankful for that, that's mindfulness. That's a form of mindfulness. You, you call it prayer. Another person over here calls it meditation. It, it depends on, there's all different forms, but it's a form of it. What are five forms that you think a lot of people don't think about that could really help them dive in and try mindfulness? Absolutely. So the form that works for me is listening to a piece of music and just focusing on one instrument for the duration of the song. So for instance, you know, I'll focus on the piano. And every time my attention wanders to the drums or to what I had for dinner yesterday or the upcoming meeting I have two days from now, every time I gently redirect my awareness back to the piano, in that moment, that's the practice. I love it. Now, does that tend to need to be 
more of a classical kind of music where you can hear the instrumentation throughout. I mean, if you're listening to a song that could pump you up, that might have a reverse. While you're trying to listen to the guitar, you might also be listening to the music. So I would assume it might be easier with no lyrics, more yeah. classical. I highly suggest karaoke versions. Absolutely. Okay. Classical versions are great. Um, and as you, as you get more advanced, you can move into the techno and pop stuff. Um, but I think starting out with classical is right on. Like, absolutely. Um, so that, but that, you know, that practice works particularly well for an auditory learner like myself. But for someone who is more of a kinesthetic learner, perhaps mindful clay molding might work great for them because they get to sculpt their way to mindfulness. You know, they get to basic, they may need to do things that involve the tactile senses and so forth. So really depends on each person. So what is that? Is that literally somebody having a, a block of clay and just yeah. molding it into shapes for 10, 15 minutes before bed? Yeah, absolutely. And I think every time they redirect their attention to the sensation of the clay on their hands, that's the practice. It's yeah, and I just made a mistake too. I said before bed because you're not normally going to do, you're going to do quieting the mind before bed, but you're not normally going into intense mindfulness before bed. Normally you're doing that in the morning, midday to try yeah. to rejuvenate you and put you in the right place for the day. So this is cool. You could take a work break and go work in the in that clay mold for 10 minutes just to refresh. Yep, and it'll cost you about whatever a little container of Play-Doh costs. You know what I mean? Right, and then wash your hands and you're good to go. Good to go, yeah. That's right. So those are just a couple of examples. You know, I've seen people do origami as their mindfulness practice. Um, you know, other people do dance as a form of mindfulness practice. Obviously, yoga fits really well into that. I love to dance. I love to dance. Now, this is always something I find interesting. When, like when I'm dancing, I do feel like I'm in that zone, like I'm in another space. For me, um, you can see in the background here, there's a little lake behind us. And so in the winter, it's frozen. So to go out on, I cannot skate well. But to go out on that, because I'm new to all this, but to go out there, put my skates on and have music on. Yeah, I'm, oh. like, I'm like in an escape mode. Is that mindfulness or is that something else? I think that's an advanced form. I think at the early stages, you want to focus on one thing um, and really, really use that as your object of attention. Um, I think at your level, you could probably do both and be mindful in both. But I think people who are just starting and figuring out and experimenting with the practices that work best for them should probably focus on one thing. That's what I recommend. Okay. And so for me then, maybe the mindfulness is when I stop skating and I just lay down on the ice. I just take in the wind and listen and because that's more of a centered, focused experience. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Versus jamming out to your favorite song. <laughs> I mean, that could be a form too. You know, I think I have a very broad conception of it. And it really stems from me, conception of, for me, it comes from a very deeply spiritual place right because I, i'm a divinity school grad and so my training was was in the study of religion and i noticed that the major world religions they all refer to the concept of god or gods you know depending on the tradition in terms of being in the present moment if you look at you know the abrahamic traditions you know islam christianity judaism judaism they all have the same name for God, which is I am, right? Not I was, which is the past, or I will be, which is the future, but I am, the present moment. 
And so if you have this, you know, radical conception of entering divinity by being in the moment, no matter what that moment is, albeit lying on your back in the ice or sculpting, anytime you enter into that I am moment, that's the practice. I love it. I think that's a great definition for that we don't normally hear when right. you are in the I am. And yet it's not about I really, right? I mean, mindfulness is about, about just to be present. Yes. So it's more about being in the present tense. That's cool. right. That I am here right now. That's the finish to the I am, right? That I am present yeah. to what I can hear, right. to my thoughts, but I am, I am present. Exactly. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not stressing. I'm not worrying. Mm -hmm. I'm present mm -hmm. without judgment, right? That's the big concept there. Correct. Yes, that's absolutely right. And yeah, just going really easy on yourself. And even if anxiety does creep up or worry does creep up, just honoring that is part of the, you know, your experience right now. And then having the courage to watch it pass by at its own rate. Right. Um, I always love the idea that some people share of it. A, a thought is like a cloud passing by. Absolutely. And if you can say that to yourself, oh, there's a new cloud. Yeah. Oh, it's passing by. I'm going to let that cloud pass. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. It can be very, very powerful. Are yep. you a person that believes that when in meditation, when in mindfulness, if a breakthrough occurs, you should not pause and notate that you should not, uh, you should allow that to pass or are you one like, there's nothing wrong with pausing. And cause otherwise I find a struggle that I have. It just yep. happened to me today. I was oh. doing, I was doing my meditation, my morning meditation, 20 minutes and this thought I had a solution to this problem. And it kept popping. And I'd be like, okay, let it go. But it's like, no, don't forget it. <laughs> let it go. Don't forget it. Let it go. So you're at a point where you're like, just pause and write it down. Because that lets it go once you write. You know you're going to come back to it afterwards. Yeah, um, that's definitely a form. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a form of let it go. I mean, Mike, if you have a breakthrough, you know, I would say note it down, you know. And then and you could always go back to your practice. But even the act of noting it down is being mindful of it. So I think it's important to you know, try not to think of it in terms of binaries. Ideally, everything you do should ultimately be a mindfulness practice. That's right. That's the goal, right? I mean, obviously, it's not achievable, maybe not in this lifetime. Some people it was in history. Uh, obviously, they became enlightened. But um, that's the goal, right? It's everything you do, whether you stop during a meditation to note something down or whether you continue with the meditation, all of it is part of the practice. Yes, it's and I love what you said there, right? It's part of being mindful. You're mindful of what you're yeah. thinking, of what you need at that moment, and and yeah. I think what's important there is you're being mindful of what you need. Yeah. To let that go is what you need. Write I it agree. down. It lets yeah, it go. And so yeah. it, it's understanding your brain. If if you're somebody who's going to remember it in 20 minutes, and you don't need to do that, you're good. But if you are someone who can't, you're not. You don't have that capability right now. Doesn't mean you won't at someday future. Then let it go. What are some uh, some key components of mindfulness that you think people, we are not discussing enough that we need to be discussing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the fact that we should be teaching mindfulness at the youngest age possible. Um, I think it's a huge, huge gap in our educational system. I'm a middle school teacher, as so I know this from firsthand experience. You know, I think that we should start as young as possible in the home ideally and then within schools um, because we'll see over the course of the generations this greater reflectivity and less 
less negativity, you know, more reflection rather than reaction, which our world so desperately needs. Um, so that I think is talked about, but not, and, but it's often given lip service, but I want to see, I want to see concrete plans of action across all schools. Um, that's, so one of the, one of the places where I work is teaching it in schools to educators and making sure they embody it first. Because a lot of times what happens is educators are given a curriculum. If their school is progressive enough to advocate mindfulness, they say, okay, go out and teach this curriculum to your students. But the educators themselves don't have a practice. So imagine you're an educator and you're going to teach math, but you don't know the first thing about addition. How are you going to teach math? Or you can't read and write. How are you going to teach English? The same thing is for mindfulness. If you don't have your own practice, if you're not coming at it from an authentic place, how are you going to teach it and embody it as effectively as you could? Oh, absolutely. I mean, imagine a teacher teaching mindfulness who did not reflect a mindful approach to mindfulness, right? That kids would know it in a heartbeat. They know the in thought in, you, that you're inauthentic, that that would right. occur. And I see it in my line of work. Somebody who is given a job to educate about sexual assault or consent, who has no passion for it. And when they leave the room, they make an inappropriate joke. And you're going... You just killed everything you just said in that room. You have, there's no authenticity you being the teacher at that point. Right, right, exactly right. So for those thinking, hey, I'd love to get this in my school, where are good places for parents listening or people in education listening to say, where's something I could go to teach kids with, like a curriculum, a, a source of information I could utilize? Yeah, there's a lot of great resources. One of the ones I love in particular is some work by Daniel Rechtshaven, who has a book on teaching mindful communication. I know Patricia Jennings has a book about mindfulness in education as well. Uh, and I'm, I've just finished an online, creating an online course that helps kids learn mindfulness. Um, so that's another resource that's on my website. And we'll, we'll make all that available. So anyone listening right now, we'll have that in the show notes. We'll have that at the website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com so Thank they can you. find all of that. Absolutely. We want to make that as easy as possible. Now, that's the education side. What about those who are saying, I don't have kids or I'm in the adult world now? What are, what are things that you think either corporate world or we as individuals can do to live with mindfulness in a joyous way, in a fun way? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the, that's the key, right? To, to not have it be something that feels like a chore. Yeah. You won't do it, quite frankly. The, the bar of entry has to be lower, has to be wider. So everyone could find a good footing to start. So I would start with a book like Real Happiness by Sharon Salzberg, which was one of the seminal books for me. And it just helps you gain that foundational understanding of mindfulness. And also just, you know, realizing that it's there's no one right way to practice. I know I said it before, but it's worth repeating. Um, you know, there's, there's thousands of ways. And so if you could be honest with yourself that a practice isn't working for you, that doesn't mean it won't always work for you. You could always come back to it later, but start with something that does, you know, go easy on yourself. If you love coloring, you know, buy one of those mindful coloring books. You know, those are, those are great ways to access it. But just remember, every time you bring yourself back, to whatever it is you're doing, that's the practice. And, and it's not a roadblock to the practice. That is the practice. Well, and I Which love that discussion because 
I did try those things. And sometimes you feel bad that you're, that yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. And you shouldn't. You're like, okay, I tried. I tried the coloring books. I'm like, I'm going to travel. Late right. at night, I come off stage. My mind's moving a million miles an hour. And I need to get to sleep quickly to get to that flight at four in the morning. Uh, and I would draw and you'd be like, this is tedious. It wasn't mindful. I mean, I liked it for a little bit. And then it'd be like, oh, it's starting to get tedious. All right, that's not mindful. This is, if, it would be a good practice to put me to sleep. But that's different than mindfulness because you don't enjoy it. Right? Right. There's a difference there. Uh, and, and then I remember I did meditation with a friend of mine and they were so intense and they had this ritual and I did it with them. And afterwards I'm like, you know, I learned that form before in a book prior to doing that. And I had done it before, but I'm like, that's just not me. That's just not me. And being okay with that. Like, I'm just, I'll do my thing. They can do their thing, but that, that doesn't work for me. And I think what's important for people to realize is we know children have different learning styles. Why do you think you're not going to have a different meditative style or a different mindfulness style? than just about everyone, because m- learning styles, the, the, the people say there's this many of them, but mindfulness styles is like by the millions, like it's just so personal. True, absolutely. And the more people could honor that, like you said, and go easy on themselves and not feel guilty, um, that, you know, and even if they do feel guilty, honor the guilt, watch it pass and try something else. You know, we don't want to demonize anything really, but just, you know, Go with it and see what happens. Don't be afraid to experiment and play and have fun with it. That's one of the things I love most about your work is you always find a way to inject the humor, find the aha moments, and use playfulness as a skillful means. I think you shouldn't be afraid to experiment. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we, we do believe in that. We think it's key. If, if you're just telling people what not to do, right? Don't do this wrong in meditation. What am I going to get out of that? But give me something to do and give me a spectrum of vision going forward that I can see why. I think that's a big problem. A lot of people are sitting there listening and going, well, why would I start trying mindfulness practices? What good is it going to do anyways? My mind can't be quiet. My man can't. Well, what I realize is nobody's giving them the vision. Well, what if there was just a little, just a little less stress in your day? Just yeah. a little. Because I'm not going to act like it's magic. It isn't going to take it all away overnight. But right. what if there was a little less stress? What if you were a little less snappy at your spouse <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day? Right? Or yep. your partner or your child, whoever it is. What if it just took that little edge off? And I think that's something we don't talk about in mindfulness. Are we painting a, a reasonable vision for mm-hmm. the people we talk to mindfulness about? I think we paint the big vision. Right. The enlightenment. And people right. are like, I can't even imagine. So they disconnect right away. Exactly. Yeah. Start with the low-hanging fruit. Absolutely. And so what are things that you point out? What, are, what do you consider the low-hanging fruit? I gave an example there of taking the edge off. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that I offer to clients whenever I give a workshop is an inventory that it identifies. It only takes about five minutes to complete, but it identifies their learning styles and interests in a very brief questionnaire, similar to Strong's or something like that. And then based on that data, the inventory recommends for them specific mindfulness practices that align with their skills and interests. So that way it starts to harness their intrinsic motivation. Say, okay, you know, I noticed here that in the inventory, if you rate high on the naturalistic scale, for example, that's one of the different learning styles is naturalistic, you know, perhaps you should try tending a garden as your mindfulness practice. Or if you don't, or if you live in a place where a garden isn't conducive, start with a plant and just, you know, tend the plant every day, prune it, 
Um, you know, when you wet the soil, feel the wet soil in your hands as you as you're nurturing the plant. That's just one. You know, it's obviously one way, but it's a great it's a great way for people to start. It's fantastic, and it aligns with what they love, which is important. Yeah, and there's a couple apps that do this where this idea of when you're having a meal, just yeah. to pause and think where'd the food come from? Right. Am I grateful for the farmer? Yeah. Am I grateful for the person who took it from the farmer to the distributor from there to there and really appreciate the food versus thinking what's on TV tonight? What's this? What's that? <laughs> but being present in the experience of eating. Yeah. Yeah. The whole universe pops up in front of you. It's pretty right. amazing. And yeah. you, what you accidentally yet intentionally bring so much more gratitude into your life, right? It's, you're not thinking I'm going to put gratitude in, but you're, you're reflecting gratitude, therefore it's coming in. And it's an intentional because you're taking the moment to do that. Exactly, exactly. And it all starts with that pause, that willingness to be open to the moment. It's Love correct. it. Love it. So if somebody's sitting there listening, going, hey, how do I get Nick's inventory or how do I get this experience? Is it live workshops they would attend with you? Or is this something they can get through something you offer online? Yeah, I'm working on making the inventory into an online app that people can download. But for now, it's on paper. So, it, But I'd be happy to send it to them. They shoot me an email at info at personalizedmindfulness.com. I'll be happy to send them the inventory. But I am in the process of making it into something digital. Yep. Very cool. And once again, we'll have that email then on the, on the show notes. And, and you got the Billings Prize for Inspiring Behavioral Change Through Positive Humor. And you mentioned the ASCD. Can you tell people what that is? Yeah, it's the Association for Curriculum Development. And the Billings Prize was something I was honored to be awarded in my last year at Divinity School at Harvard. And it was, it was for my work trying to help people use humor as a way to access spirituality and, and more fully live into the moment. I think humor could be an excellent tool when it's used appropriately for bringing us back into the present. So is there an intentional way to do that? Like I find that there are days where I can just fall into some YouTube videos for a half hour and I'm laughing, I'm having fun. And at times I'll go, I'm just watching YouTube for a half hour. And then I go, no, 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 I'm laughing for a half hour. This is so, in, so valuable. Absolutely. It is. It's a, form, it's a form of meditation in itself. And I think it's often downplayed or maybe even seen as frivolous, but I think it's one of the highest forms of practicing. Um, so is there an intentional way? Absolutely. You know, at its heart, you know, humor in itself takes something that may ordinarily be perceived as tragic and somehow transforms it into something lighter, and perhaps even uh, infuses it with levity. And it allows you to perform a cathartic experience with that, you know, that initial tragic seed could be transformed into something that causes you to laugh. Um, and when it's done appropriately, it can be very, very effective. So that's like the intentionality behind it is to perhaps list something that's troubling you. And depending on, and this doesn't work for every troubling thing, obviously. Some things are just, you know, obviously not appropriate for this exercise. But maybe something, something a little bit lighter that you could use. Something like, say, someone bump, bumped into you on the subway and you're all upset and you're aggravated at it and you list that something and you think well how could i so you actually physically write it down then the second step is well how could i transform this into something that's perhaps a little bit more playful there's many ways you could do that through exaggeration 
through um, irony, through, you know, there's all different common so let's, tools. let's to the example you gave. Uh, somebody bumps me in the train, oh I'm upset. Yeah. Uh, how do I turn that into humor? Like, I can think of an example that actually happened a week Please. ago. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I were driving. Uh, we start to get a, a slight bit of an argument over something that was so ridiculous mm-hmm. that by the time we hit the stop sign, I just started laughing. Ah. Right. And she's like, what are you laughing? I'm like, the fact we are arguing over blah, 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 whatever it is. And I'm not laughing that it doesn't matter that you're, that one of us or both of us are annoyed or upset by this, but right. how silly this was if somebody is watching from the outside. Exactly. It's that ability to zoom out just as you did with the food before what you talked about with the meal, zooming out and seeing the bigger picture of the, from farmer to table. It's the same right. thing. If you, when you look at it from this big picture, you start to see how absurd it is. Right. The person on the train did not bump me out of the train. They did not right. hit bump me out. And I went soaring out like a wild cartoon. Is that right. the kind of exaggeration you're talking about? Like imaging? Yeah. Well, it could have been way worse. They could have shoved me into three people. They could have punched me. They could have, this could have yeah. turned into a brawl. Uh, right. I got bumped. That's all that happened here. That, that's it. Right. Right. So it's a more playful look at it. Exactly. I love it. I, w- I want to thank you, Nick. This has been a great conversation. We're going to have everything on our show notes and on our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com for people to get a hold of you. But once again, your website is for people listening so they can hear it also. Yeah, absolutely. It's personalizedmindfulness.com. Very cool. And remember, you want some great ability to sleep. Read <laughs> Nick's book, Read Them and Sleep, because that's what it's for, to help you fall asleep. I just think that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. Oh, Mike, it was a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. For everyone listening, we hope you make today and every day a little bit of mindfulness. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.